Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. What is up? What is up, sports fans? My name is Jake Anzuski. You can call me Jake Iggy or Iggy for short. And this is Iggy's Sports Talk. So this is another week jam-packed, pill, jam-packed, filled with sports. Excuse me. I really appreciate everybody who has joined in right now for Iggy's Sports Talk on 91.7 WPCR in Plymouth. And I have a very exciting jam-packed radio show set up for you guys today. I have a very special guest named Elliot Johnson, who is a former MLB player who will be joining me uh, in a few minutes or so. And then I am also going to be talking about the NFL Week 6 and sort of just breaking down what happened during the week and then also covering a little bit of what is going to be happening tonight, starting tonight, for the MLB World Series. So right now I am going to be joined by Elliot Johnson. I'm going to bring him into the live right now. I hope you guys are excited. So Elliot played from 2002 to 2015 for the Rays, the Royals, and the Braves, and also the Indians. We're just waiting for Elliot to join right now, just through IG Live. It's connecting. There we go. How's it going, Elliot? Iggy, thanks for having me, bud. Absolutely. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. So, Elliot played from 2002 to 2015 for the Royals, the Rays, the Braves, and the Indians. And he was signed as a non-drafted free agent out of high school. So, it was kind of interesting because when I was doing my research for, for obviously this interview, I was, I was sifting through everywhere. I'm, I'm like, I can't find where he was drafted. I'm like, I'm like, this is so weird. I'm like, I can't find it. So it must have been sort of nerve wracking for you coming up through the race system uh, as a non-drafted free agent with you being surrounded with all these up and coming draft picks and like that sort of stuff. Well, not particularly, Iggy. I mean, what, what you find real quick you know, for most of your listeners, and I'm not sure how old you are, Iggy, but 2002 was a different time where I didn't have a cell phone. Internet was still up on the dial-up connection, you know. Uh, so, you know, you play three sports growing up, and you don't really know how good you are. But uh, once you get thrown into the mix and you get uh, to see how you compete, you compare with uh, the other guys taken, and there's really not a whole lot of difference. In fact, you're probably better than a lot of those guys. Um, the reality is I just I grew up in a really small town in the middle of nowhere in Arizona and uh, played three sports. So nobody know who, knew who I was. And if you look at the draft, uh, you know, I played in the big leagues longer than, you know, even the first pick in the draft, over, you know, number one, number one my year. So the draft can be a crapshoot, and I never let that define who I was as a player and, and uh, you know, made the most of every opportunity I was made, that I was given and uh, obviously got to spend a lot of time uh, playing for some of the best teams in the big leagues. Right, and and that's awesome that you have that mindset go, going into it like that. Because I mean, I'm twenty years, I'm twenty one years old, so I saw Bryce Harper come up and like all that sort of stuff. And and for me, like growing up, like he was my inspiration. So if I if I was on like if I got drafted by the Nationals and Bryce Harper was on my same team, at least for me, I, I would have anxiety about just just about like playing next to that guy. But that's awesome that you like had that sort of self motivation and that sort of stuff to be able to you know really play to the highest level, even though even though you had all these people around you. And so I was curious, uh, what, what was like the, the decision-making for you to pursue baseball out of high school? Oh, it was pretty simple. Um, you know, again, not knowing the business, not understanding the process, not understanding any of that. I mean, you're kind of on an island, uh, really. 
Um, and I hit a single and stole a base, and my scout told me, you know, I know you're a Red Sox homer, so you'll appreciate this. He's like, today, Elliot, you've got a better arm, and you can run faster than Derek Jeter. And I, I thought he was full of it um, until I got to the big leagues and I got to see for myself that he was right um, because, you know, Jeter's up on such a pedestal, you know. But I was much more of a Nomar guy, and I tried to pattern my game again, you know, more so towards Nomar than Jeter because, you know, I hated Jeter. And, uh, you know, the, the, I was raised as a Cubs fan, so we kind of – we were almost uh, – we were groomed to hate the Yankees because they won so much. That makes sense. And it also makes sense as well that you were a Nomar fan because he eventually got went over the Cubs, so you must have enjoyed that. Of course, yeah. Nomar, Nomar was special. So you know the jump throw that Jeter does. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nomar would throw it off his right foot. So when I had the play, the similar play, I would always do it off my right foot because I refused to do the jump play because Jeter almost you know, trademarked it, if you will. So I refused to do that, so I was much more of a Nomar guy from that respect. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I always grew up with that, and then obviously Tula Whiskey had, had to try out his own thing and that sort of stuff. Sure. But funny enough, even, even though I'm a Red Sox fan, I still have a Derek Jeter respect shirt. And I, I go to Yankee Stadium sometimes. I always wear my Red Sox hat, obviously, because you, you, you can't succumb to the Yankees fans. But when, when they do give me crap, I'm like, listen, I got a, I got a respect shirt on. Come on. Like, I'm kind of respecting you guys a little bit. <laughs> really? Man, I don't know, man. I don't know if the Red Sox faithful will be appreciative if you go on both ways there, bud. Oh, uh, I think you got to just go all in one way, man. I, I know what you mean. It's been tough for me growing up. I, I mean, I, I, I grew up in New England, so, like, I'm in New Hampshire, so... I mean, New Hampshire's kind of like Connecticut, where, like, there's some Yankees fans, some Red Sox fans. So, like, growing up, like, I, I remember when my friends would be like, oh, yeah, I'm a Yankees fan. I'm like, yeah, we're not talking too much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam Fold, New Hampshire guy, but he loved the Red Sox. Come on, man. Yeah, exactly. All right. So, um, you, made, you made the opening day roster in, tw- in 2008 uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays. And that, that was a big year for the Tampa Bay Rays. But specifically with... with with you making the opening day roster, like what what was that like, especially coming through, up through the system and being able to like know that you're making your major league debut? Well, it's a dream come true, first and foremost. You know, I mean, you know, being able to, you know, realize a dream, all the hard work has paid off, you know. I mean, because, you know, there's so many people that obviously try, you know, you think of how many people get introduced through international signings and the draft every single year that don't make it. Um, how many people play in high school, college, et cetera, et cetera, pro, pro ball don't make it. So just being able to call yourself a big leaguer, um, get a baseball card with some stats on it. Um, a lot of people can't say that. So obviously a dream come true. And, you know, I have four brothers and all of us were supposed to help the Cubs get to the big league. So it was obviously a big uh, family moment as well for, for my dad, uh, you know, living out his dream that and his vision for me and for all of us. Uh, you know, we spent a lot of time playing baseball, as you can imagine. So, I, I was, it was rewarding in so many ways to be able to call him and uh, tell him, hey, one of your sons is now a big leaguer. That's awesome. Yeah, I, I bet also during your career you, you got to play the Cubs like a, a good amount of time. So, like, being able to have, like, that sort of ch- childhood dream sort of come true where, where you're able to play against a team that you, like, looked up to throughout your entire life. Like, how yeah. was that feeling? Pretty cool. Uh, so, like, most of the time I spent was in the American League. So, we would go and play against the White Sox there. And so, Dad would be able to come over. But – when uh, when I was with the Braves, we we had a series. We actually clinched in 2013 in Chicago, so we we got to trash that clubhouse. Um, and obviously, my dad was there for that uh, that entire series. So, and you know, and I get him on field for BP, and he was obviously as proud as they come. Uh, being able to watch his son in Wrigley Field was a pretty big deal. Yeah, I mean that's incredible. I, at least for me, like if I got the opportunity to hit at Fenway Park or even Wrigley Field as well, like dream come true. It, it would be unreal. Sure. 
But so you, in 2008, your, fifth, your first hit came off of Andy Pettit. When I, when I saw that, I'm, I'm like, wow, that must, that must have been incredible. So, like, how was he first, like, facing as a hitter? And then also, once you got that hit, sort of what was your reaction when you got to first base? So, yeah, so the first at bat, uh, so I debuted hitting ninth as a designated hitter, um, you know, and I had a great spring. I think I hit 450 or something like that. So I, I had a great spring, and I had a lot of confidence going into the game. But, you know, the old Yankee Stadium was different than the new Yankee Stadium now. So I remember if I looked up at the second deck behind the plate, I would get nervous. So I kept my eyes out on the field, and I didn't, I didn't get nervous for some reason. <laughs> um, but Pettit, he's tough, man. Um, you know, you know he's throwing a cutter, cutter curveball uh, for the most part. Uh, but he was really, really tough. So my first AB got me 3-1, and I just missed it. I hit about 400 feet to straightaway center field. Johnny caught it right on the track. And then uh, my next AB, he went first pitch cutter in. I hit a line drive to left field. So, you know, and I'll tell you and your, your listeners this. So these are the shenanigans that go on in, in the clubhouse. So, um, I, you know, obviously this is, this is my crowning achievement to this point is my first hit in the big leagues. Like, this is such a big deal. I took the ball and I put it in my safe, okay, in my hotel, all right? And, um, you know, so the next day, you know, I get it out and I read it. I'm looking at it. They misspelled my name. They misspelled the date. You know, they did all this stuff with it. And I'm talking to teammate uh, Sunnenstein maybe like a week later at home. And I was like, man, you know, they misspelled my name on the ball. And he, like, snaps his head and he's like, did you ask for the real ball? And I'm like, come on, man. And, like, nobody said anything to me for, like, a week. Nobody. No mention any of it. And so I finally went up to the clubby, uh, to Westy, and I was like, hey, man, can I get my ball? And he started laughing. He's like, took you long enough. <laughs> so I got, I got the real ball now, and I got it up here in my office now. With the, the, uh, I got it in a frame with the, um, uh, the scorecard and everything, you know, dang. Damon Jeter, Abreu, Rodriguez, Giambi, Cano, Posada, Matsui. I mean, and Pettit, you know, I mean, some of the best Yankees that you ever face, you know, and none of the Rays that are on there today are there uh, playing tonight in the World Series. Yeah, I, I mean, it's, it's really interesting to hear sort of, like, what, what it was like not only to face Andy Pettit, but also, like, what it was like to, like, to be able to say that you hit a 400-foot ball against Andy Pettit. Like, not, not a lot of people are able to say like that. Like, that... That must be something that, like you said, you is is one of the best parts of your career, at least at least from what you can remember um, of just like some insane people that you were able to face. Well, sure, but I mean, think about it this way too, Iggy. I was out, so like four hundred foot, you know, good isn't good when better is expected. I mean, I'm still out. You know, you still got to hit it where nobody's standing or can't get to it. So, you know, I mean, so I mean, I made up for it the next AB, of course. But you know, hitting hitting's tough, man. And uh, and Pettit was one of the best at getting outs for a long time. Definitely, and I wouldn't be surprised if he's a Hall of Famer in, in the next few years or so. Yeah, would I wouldn't be surprised either. He deserves it. One hundred percent. So in two thousand nine, uh, it was interesting how, how you missed two months with a fractured thumb, and then you came back the next season to hit three nineteen, be the be the Durham Bulls MVP and also be an all-star as well. So I was, I was curious for, during those two months, what, like did, you must've had massive motivation going into that next year to be able to perform that well. And you, you must've really just put all your effort to really do as well as you could after an injury filled season. Well, it's not, it's not really necessarily a function of motivation. I think everybody's always motivated. It's a matter of execution more than anything else. Iggy. So, you know, I, it's not like I had bad years um, other than 2007 here in Durham. It's just the problem is that we had guys that were better than me. I mean, Ben Zobrist uh, was a great player for a long time, so I was kind of hung out to dry here behind him. 
And then having that year in 2010, you know, you know, Andrew Friedman's now, you know, he's the, you know, the brainchild for the Rays and now the brainchild for the Dodgers. You know, I called him personally. I didn't even have my agent call him. I called him personally to ask him, you know, why I wasn't getting called up. Cause you know, you, you hit, you hit that well, you're deserving of a, of a pay raise, quite frankly. And so I felt like I earned it. I don't like using the word deserve, but I felt like I'd earned a call up and I didn't get one. So, you know, it's unfortunate. That's kind of the way that the baseball works. Sometimes you can do everything possible, but as long as you take care of, you know, your own part, you're, it's supposed to work out, but you know, I don't know anyone who's ha- put up those kind of numbers uh, that hasn't gotten rewarded in some way, shape or form with a call up. So, you know, it, it is what it is. Uh, I was certainly disappointed at the time that I didn't get to help the team in the playoffs that year, but uh, I was right back at it in 2011. Yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I mean, especially seeing those numbers. I, I mean, I, I would have thought something very similar, um, but it's, it's awesome how you, you were able to come back from an injury and really make the most of your opportunity like, like you were able to. Um, but one, one other thing that I was curious about, I mean, you brought up Brent Zobra. So through your time, uh, just not only through, through your minor league career, but through, also through your major league career, who are some of the people that you were able to like come up with and then really see them blossom when they got to the major leagues? Well, so I guess going way back, you know, BJ Upton was the second pick in the draft in '02, my year, um, and he was he was really really good. Um, obviously, not a good shortstop, but a tremendous uh, baseball player, center fielder, and he could really hit. Um, uh, so he comes to mind. Delman Young, Delman Young was one of the best off-speed hitters. Longo Longoria is one of the best off-speed hitters I ever saw. I feel like Delman. You know, anytime there was a guy on second or third with, you know, if you were in running uh, scoring position, he was going to drive you in. That guy was really, really good. I know he didn't do as well in the big leagues, but he was a tremendous baseball player. Um, David Price, I mean, good grief. Um, you know, he, Pricey will try and beat you. So Pricey is one of the most competitive guys you'll ever meet. And I know, you know, he's, you, you know, he helped win a World Series there in Boston. Thank goodness for him. I'm happy for him. Um, to get you know the members of the media off his back but pricey's the type of guy that's so competitive he won't he won't want to lose to you in cards um they'll text him and shields will text you back and forth what what cards they have in a team game like pluck or something like that to try and beat you you know so like they do everything they can you know not i'm not talking about games where you're playing with money because that's different but if you're just playing a game he's doing everything he can to beat you uh james shields one of my favorite teammates of course steven vote great teammate sam fold great teammate so i mean i could go on and on and on about guys but i guess coming up through the ranks it's probably i spent most of my time playing a lot with bj uh zobrist was kind of later because he came over in that trade with huffy uh, really one of the better trades that we've ever seen um, in any year uh, mm-hmm. in terms of value, in, in terms of value getting in received relative to giving up Huffy. Um, so I think, I think those are kind of the core guys. I'm sure I'm missing plenty of people. Fernando Perez, uh, John Jaso, there's plenty of guys. I mean, we had so many big leaguers that came up through our system. Um, you know, it's a credit to player development and scouting, really. 100%. I mean, you brought, you brought up the guy's name, Andrew Friedman. I mean, he's, he's a genius in, in just building these unreal franchises, these unreal um, farm systems. And it, it's really crazy to, like, hear those names because it's, it's making me nostalgic. Just, like, hearing James Shields, you, you, obviously David Price, he played for us two years ago. But, like, just sort of thinking about, like, the Red Sox and Rays sort of rivalry at, at that time. I, I was curious, like, were you, were you ever able to – like be a part of any of those um, those rough and rowdy or, or just like rivalry games between the Red Sox and the Rays at that time? That's a lot of fun. Uh, so like Shields throwing the haymaker at Coco Crisp, that was, I wasn't there for that, 
but I, but obviously, you know, I played with Shields a ton. You know, I know how competitive he is, and I know he's not going to back down from anyone. Um, you know, and Coco, I don't know if you know this about Corvelli. He he's like a uh, he is a competitive boxer in the off season. I think his dad was a boxer, so like Covelli, Covelli knows how to throw his hands. You know, luckily uh, Johnny Gomes was there to, to make a tackle. I think. Because who knows how it would have played out otherwise, but that's kind of the nature of those types of things. But it was fun to be able to see guys swing on each other. It's not like the Rugnet Ordor and uh, you know the punch that he landed on. Uh, gosh, I, I can't think of his name Batista, now. Who, yeah, forget about no, Batista. The one of the that's one of the greatest punches landed of all time. Unreal. You know, you know you're, now you're bringing up comparisons to, to Nolan Ryan with uh, Ventura. You know, for goodness' sake, but. So, like, those things were so much fun. You know, it's always fun to play in Boston because, you know, the, you know the, they're, they're always competitive. The fans are always into it. Um, I guess probably my favorite moment in Fenway, two of them, Sam Fold hitting for the cycle against uh, Dice K, Matsuzaka. And then uh, I took uh, Lester hung me a breaking ball that I hit over the monster. So that's one of, probably one of my favorite uh, moments. Those two are the ones that stand out to me right now. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, especially especially like growing up in that rivalry, you sort of forgot about the Red Sox and the Yankees. And the Rays and the Red Sox always seemed to have some sort of bad blood. It, it didn't matter if it was in the regular season, in the playoffs. They just had some sort of like strong rivalry. So it must have been cool to be, able, be a part of that. Yeah, and then the third one, Iggy, I'll drop this on you because I don't know if guys are allowed to do this anymore, but we did a rookie hazing there one year. I think it was 11, maybe 12, where Shields paid to have a choreographer come in and have all the rookies um, work on a dance, specifically in front of the Green Monster one night. We had we had music playing, and uh, they they choreographed a dance perfectly. And uh, I think I remember even Des, Desmond Jennings did a backflip at the end to kind of like to put the icing on the cake. It was phenomenal, professionally done. You com- you completely I you just reminded me of Desmond Jennings. I com- I haven't yeah. heard Desmond Jennings in in so long. Special athlete. Yeah, 100%. He, was, he was good, man. He was really he, good. He was Carl Crawford after Carl Crawford. Like, unreal. Yeah, I don't know if you want to pick that scab for you, for you Fenway <laughs> folks. <laughs> yeah, I know what Carl, you Carl was a great player. He's one of the best Tampa Bay Rays of all time. Nobody can take that away from him. May not have worked out uh, in Boston, but right. uh, he, he was a great baseball player. I completely agree with you. It's, it's interesting how you brought up Gene Shields a few times and how good of a relationship you both had. Because uh, interestingly enough, you guys got traded together uh, over Shit. to the Royal, or yeah, traded over together in the Royals uh, trade in 2013. So, did you guys kind of converse during that night, and and really, how did you find out about that? Yeah, so I I spent a lot of time with with, with Shields or you Wag G Wag O G whatever you want to call him. Um, so he was probably the first guy I met when I was 18 in Florida in the instructional league. Uh, so I spent a lot of time with him. I, I knew him before he developed that changeup, which is what made him a multimillionaire. Um, but he was always super competitive. Um, he certainly figured things out. Yeah, but when we went from the Rays, because you have to understand the Joe Madden culture is a culture of winning. It really is. And uh, we went over to the Royals, and that culture wasn't as good. You know, and unfortunately, you know, not, they they just basically did – because Bobby Cox did whatever it was with the Braves, that's what Ned was doing over there with the Royals, and it just it didn't work for today's players. Um, so we brought a completely different brand of mentality into the clubhouse of, you know, just relax, guys. Um, you know, and I, I could tell you story after story, but I won't. But you know, so there there was a number of different things that we did there where James Shields took over the clubhouse, um, and I obviously helped play a supporting role. But he was in charge. Anything from you know the bus ride from the airport to 
to the hotel, which is insanely important for camaraderie purposes. And then uh, also, you know, after the game, after you win, we did a ton of different things that were completely out of the realm of expectations that certainly wouldn't have passed for uh, Bobby Cox's time back when he was uh, managing the Braves. So we did things differently, and obviously it helped tremendously because, you know, in 14, the Royals went to the World Series, and in 15, they went to the World Series. So clearly the difference was, you know, A, the players, sure, you have to start there, but the culture difference was completely different as well. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I, I mean, when when you really saw that Royals team, like, early on with with, with all those young guys, it, um, it, it was really interesting to see not only how they grew, but it's cool to hear sort of, like, your story go, going from the Joe Madden clubhouse over to the Royals and sort of how you, you and James Shields were really able to build up that clubhouse and that com- camaraderie, like you mentioned. Yeah, well, I mean, it, it clearly made a difference, you know. I mean, we had a really bad May in 13, um, but other than that, the team was really, really good. And so just trying to let the guys know, you know, you don't have to do things the way that you're currently doing them. There's a better way to do things. So that, that's kind of the, what we tried to do and get them as comfortable as possible, as quickly as possible. You know, even, you know, regardless if you have 10 years in the show or a day in the show, you can still impact the outcome of a game every single day if you're on the field. So, you know, we, we completely understood that and we tried to relay that to everyone, you know, who was on the team in any given day. Yeah, that makes sense. That, that, that's, that's really interesting. So, Right after you went uh, to the Royals, you went over to the Braves. And it's funny how you brought up B.J. Upton before because you were able to be reunited with him, uh, with his yeah. brother, Justin Upton. So yeah. first question, uh, like, what was it like being reunited? Because I always think about this, like, players, like, playing with another guy from another team and then being able to uh, be reunited with him. That must have been pretty cool. But also, what was it like uh, playing with the two brothers of Justin Upton and B.J. Upton? Right. Well, I met Justin when he was 16, a long time ago, and he was always bigger than B.J., um, so I guess when I got reunited with him, his name wasn't PJ anymore. It was Melvin, right? Yeah. Uh, so Mel, Mel was – so he was at the beginning of that big uh, $75 million deal, and it was not going well. Um, he, was, he was completely different. Uh, mechanically, he was different. He was different. Mentally, he was different. He'd gotten beat up pretty good. Um, you know, uh, expectations were different. Um, you know, he, he was in a different – role altogether um and uh you know I, I you know i tried to stay out of his hair as much as possible because he he really wasn't interested in talking about anything uh so you know i remember kershaw i can still remember in the playoffs kershaw threw the only change up he threw to him uh or in the entire game like we faced kershaw twice bj he um pinch hit in in la and the only change up he threw was to bj I mean, he threw him two of them. I mean, it was unbelievable to see how much preparation they had in the event that he pinch hits. You know, here's the game plan for him, and they executed flawlessly. But uh, obviously, Kershaw was going to give Freddie and any lefty a hard time, and you know, he's giving me a hard time, and I was a switch hitter. Um, that guy was really, really good back there. I mean, he's he's not the same guy as he was in 2013, that's for sure. But you know, we'll see how he does. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if he gets the ball in game two or game three, but we'll see how he does uh, this week. Yeah, I, I agree. With you. That's interesting what you brought up about BJ because I mean, when he was with the Rays, it was like him and Longoria, like like at, at least were like the were, were like the franchise players. And, and anytime I would go down to my grandparents' house, we would always go to the Rays games. And I always remember BJ ha- had a little bit of swagger, and he was he was always seemed like he was having fun during the game. And then once he got to the Braves, you know, it's kind of like you said, a little bit of pressure with his brother. And then he went to the Padres. Um, but it must have been interesting, kind of like you said, to be able to be reunited with him. And like, did did you see did you see that sort of happen uh, with some of the people that you were friends with throughout your career? Like, were you able to be on the same teams with them, like in on different teams? Um, well, probably just Shields 
Wade Davis, um, BJ Upton. I don't know if there's too many other guys that come to mind right away. Jeff Rancourt. Um, there's a few guys. But really, I mean, you end up being a product of, you know, for the most part, if you're if you're a professional, it's really easy to say and hard to do. You're not really impacted in your day-to-day personality based on results. You're supposed to just work the process as much as you can, but we're all human beings. We're not uh, commodities. So it's, it's, like I said, it's easier said than done. So like I said, he was at the beginning of that five-year 75, and it wasn't going the way that everyone had drawn it up. And so he, he was kind of a different guy. But, you know, in 08 – the the Rays would have never gotten to the World Series without him. I mean, I think he set a home run. I think he set a record for eight home runs in the in the playoffs leading up to the World Series. I mean, you know, so he deserves all the credit in the world for that. But uh, you know, 2013 was a completely different year than 08. Yeah, I remember he used to have that uh, that front that front foot. He would, he would like move it a few mm-hmm. ways, and then that was like his loading. I remember it was so cool, it was so smooth. Yeah, but then he, you know that year he was tipping the bat to the to the dugout. And mm-hmm. it was just taking him too long to get back around, um, you know. And I know he had analyzed it a million different times, but he just couldn't stop doing it. So, yeah, it is what it is. Yeah, exactly. As, as a baseball hitter, as you know, so- sometimes you just can't get those uh, muscle memory or those, yeah, you know, I'm, you know what I mean, out of your head uh, to be able to change those kinds of things. Um, but you, you also had the opportunity to play on the Indians as well. And I, I want to ask you being able to face uh, guys like in practice, like, like Corey Kluber, Trevor Bauer, uh, Carrasco as well. They had a star-studded rotation, and I, I, I had to ask you what, was, what it was like facing those guys. Well, I faced Carrasco coming up plenty. He's tough. Uh, he had a really good changeup and a really good fastball. Um, Kluber, Kluber though was, I mean, I faced Kluber. He was tough. So like his, you know, his front door two seam is by far his best pitch. Uh, his breaking ball is insanely good, and then he's got a changeup. He'll sprinkle in just for fun. And he threw me nothing but change-ups, man. He was tough. I did not like facing him. He's really, really, really good when he was healthy. I mean, when the Indians went to the World Series, you know, he was a big reason why. I mean, you, if you remember that you're Red Sox faithful, you remember Josh Beckett throwing that front door to seam at 95? Mm-hmm. In, no, in no point in any of our training are we ever told or taught how to hit a front door changeup or a two seam. It just doesn't happen. It starts at your hip and I'm supposed to stay in on that. You know, I mean, you don't do that. You don't, I mean, that's why what made Mariano so special is, you know, you never work on a ball that moves that fast, that late. Um, All of your training, because, you know, it's only four tenths of a second before the ball, from the time it leaves his hand until it's in the glove, you've got less time than that to decide. And you don't really, you're never trained to work on those types of things on a consistent basis to where you can implement that in the game. So, it's not surprising to me that those guys found the success that they did because anyone whose ball can move that much that late is going to be fine. Um, so, you know, hopefully they can try and develop more guys like that. But, you know, the more data is showing that guys are swinging under the ball, and you know, it's easier to develop high spin rate guys and throw fastballs up and breaking balls underneath off of that. So I think that's kind of the way the game is trending. But if you have a guy that can throw that front, front door two seam at 95, I mean, that pitch is almost unhittable. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. All those pitchers are, are just unreal. And it's unfortunate that, that they were never able to – well, they came close. They 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 almost were, were able to capture that World Series title uh, against the Cubs. Um, but I actually have to ask you, as a Cubs fan, what was it like in 2016 uh, to, just to be able to have it finally happen? So, you know, I, I had relinquished my Cubs – you know, fandom a long time ago. So because I played with those guys with the Indians, I was, I was actually rooting for the Indians. You know, my dad would hate me saying that, but it's just, you know, I would, so when, when the business gets you, you get traded as many times as I have, you stop being a fan. Um, 
you know, and I can't really explain it to you other than that. Unless it happens to you, you don't understand. But I stopped being a Cubs fan. I was more a fan of, you know, I was rooting for the guys that I played with. I was hoping that they would they would win. And obviously, I played for Joe, and I played with Jay Hay, and I played with Zobra. So I was I was really happy with those for those guys to win. Um, but because I had kind of more of an attachment to the Indians, to Tito and the guys over there, I was kind of rooting for the Indians to win. Uh, but it's probably better for baseball that they could stop talking about the hundred year curse of the Cubs and we could move on. You know. Um, so that, but anyway, so that that's why I was more I was torn to a degree, but I just felt a, a stronger attachment to Kipnis and Michael Brantley and the boys over there in Cleveland. Yeah, I, that, that that makes a lot of sense. And now now that you're saying all these names, I actually didn't even realize all the people that like you were actually around all were in that game. Like like there was there was a good amount of guys, like you said, Zobris, Madden, also also all the guys over on the Indians. And so like. At least for me, that was the greatest baseball game I've, I've ever seen. Um, so, like, up when, there. when Rajay Davis hit that home run, I, I went off. How, how did you feel <laughs> when you, since you were kind of in the middle? Where you're like, I don't know who to root for. Like, nah, I mean, it was it made it more fun, didn't it? Right. I mean, it made it a whole lot more exciting to watch. Um, you know, so I mean, I, again, I, because I was rooting for the Indians, I was excited to see it. You know, and then everybody wants to throw shade on Joe Madden because the oldest is tired. He was still throwing ninety eight. It's like, uh, you know, so a fraction of Roldis Chapman is still better than virtually every other pitcher on the planet. So I, I didn't feel like it was necessary. You know, again, you know, people in the media, are, they get paid to tell you what you should have done after the fact, not necessarily what you should do during the moment. I get it. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, fortunately for the Cubs, it still worked out. Uh, Joe got to stick around. And now, obviously, because he's a competitor, he's hoping to win over in Anaheim here real soon. I hope so. I mean, I hope so. They just need some pitching. They, at least they got the help with Anthony Rendon over there. They just need some pitching. Um, but but throughout, throughout your time um, with the Indians, I got to ask as a Red Sox fan, because you, sure. you brought up with uh, your experience with Ned Yost. So I was curious, what was your experience like with uh, Terry Francona and, and sort of his managing style? Oh, Tito's the best. Now, anybody that says other, uh, otherwise is, you know, doesn't know what they're talking about or they have some sort of vendetta, Tito's the best. Tito's wonderful. He has a great culture, great environment. He's competitive as can be when the game starts before he, he stays out of the clubhouse. He understands. I mean, T Tito knows what he's doing. He shouldn't have, he should have never been run out of Fenway. Um, whoever started that coup, I don't know who it was, but obviously that was a deliberate uh, effort to try and win a power struggle. Um, you know, probably no, not too much different than Cashman and Girardi over there in New York over Gabby, you know, Gary Sanchez, and look who's winning that one right now. So, you know, this, these types of things happen all the time behind the scenes, and most fans aren't aware of them, but typically the front offices win those arguments um, just because they spend so much more time with, uh, with ownership. But, you know, to me, I, I, you know, Cashman's a brilliant guy. I love Girardi, though. I think he's the right hire in Philly. We'll see how that shakes out. Um, uh, but getting rid of Tito, I, I just didn't think that made a whole lot of sense uh, at all. And, I'll, it, and even even when the the Braves got rid of Freddie, um, I didn't think that made any sense either. Um, but obviously the new GM uh, president that they brought in over that uh, won that argument. But even that didn't seem to have any merit either. But, you know, that's kind of the way that things go in baseball. Yeah, I completely agree with you. You're you making me go back to the to the Beckett lackey, the – the beer and the ch um, fried chicken, that whole stuff. Oh, my God, that was rough as a Red Sox fan. <laughs> uh, it's, I mean, whatever. It's all semantics. You know, if they're winning, nobody talks about it, nobody cares. But since they're not, somebody's going to leak it to the media in an effort to try and get him out. I mean, that's mm -hmm. really what it was all about. If you can't see through that, then you're just, you know, you're ignorant. I agree with you. So you brought up how, how tough it was to obviously uh, be betrayed as much as you were. So – as as a player, like how tough was it to not know if you'd be on the same team 
uh, the next season or even the following day. Well, it's the nature of the business. I mean, you, you know, give you some cliches, control what you can control, all that yada yada stuff. I mean, really, it's a function of if I perform, then it's, my career is a lot more in my hands than otherwise. So it's really, you know, the motto is if you don't like it, play better. So that's really what it's all about. So if you go, go out there and play well, then you don't have to worry. So anyway, so that, that's really where I boiled that down to, Iggy. You know, if you control what you can control, then everything's good. Yeah, that makes sense. And then just lastly, just because you played for the Tampa Bay Rays and then you also played for the AAA affiliate for the Dodgers, who's your pick not only for tonight but for the entire series? Who do you think? <laughs> All right, nice. Yeah, well done. Um, so I've answered this question a couple of times. Um, I think the Dodgers are the better team. Um, I think we all know this. Uh, I think Kevin Kiermaier is probably the greatest defensive center fielder we've probably ever seen. Uh, you throw in Willie Mays there, I have no problem saying that. From a defensive run stand, uh, save standpoint, and I played against him. He's, he's unbelievable. His first step is unbelievable. It's direct. His root efficiency has to be tops in the league every single year. Um, the bullpen... The bullpen is really, really good for the Rays. I'll give them all the credit in the world. Um, I love Cashy, of course, um, but you know, I think the offense with the Dodgers, I think anybody that has a, a brain knows that the offense over there in L.A. is so much better. Mookie is so good. Um, I know that probably hurts you over there in Fenway, over there in Boston. I was uh, actually but, happy you got traded. Come on, man. How do you be happy he's traded? He's one of the best players ever. Man. So, he's got a million-dollar smile. He's a great player. I mean, he's everything you'd want in a teammate. So I you agree. can't be happy. Alex Verdugo, um, you, know, it, you know, so he's whatever. Bad, it, he's close. It is what it is. So. The Bellinger, Bellinger's unbelievable. You know, Seager, Seager's unreal. He's unreal good. Um, you know, Kike, you throw him in every once in a while. Muncie hasn't been good yet, but he can be. Um, Will Smith, Austin Barnes. Austin Barnes is one of the best defensive catchers in the game. Um, Will Smith has hit really, really well. So the Dodgers offensively are much better. Um, you know, I'm not necessarily going to give an edge to the starting staff. I think if Pricey were there, it would be a whole lot easier for, for L.A. to be in, in the driver's seat. And they still are. Uh, but he would certainly help them uh, a lot more than obviously being at home, but that's his decision to make. So I think the Rays are much scrappier. I'll give them that, but I still think the Dodgers are probably going to end up winning in six. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, just really just like looking at the stats, the Dodgers led the ALC or the NLCS uh, with 16 home runs. And the, but interestingly enough, the, Ra the Rays actually are second in home runs uh, with 11. Um, but like you said, the wow. – the pitching is unreal. So the Dodgers have a 4.35 ERA in the championship uh, league series, and then uh, and then the Rays had a 3.08. Crazy. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but they're facing the Astros that don't know what's coming anymore, so that's changed. <laughs> um, and then Rosarena has just been unbelievable. I mean, so Eric Neander deserves an award for going out and trading Matthew Libertor to go get him. Most 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 GMs don't have the guts to make that play trading your you know your first round pick but for him to go get a rosarena and all the records he's setting he deserves an award for sure um cashy should be manager of the year for sure um but still i i just think that the talent on the dodgers you think of the you know if, if you did a, a position by position lineup of who you would rather have i mean would you rather have seager or would you rather have you know i'm, I'm losing who the guy is for the short of the adamas for the race who would you rather have i'd have seager okay joey wendell or justin turner I mean, I mean Justin Justin Turner did all right this year, but I mean j just just for this talent, he's better he's better than Joey. Yeah, Joe, Joey's been unreal, man. You see how many plays he's making. So like the I, the Rays the Rays defense right. has been unreal. Joey's all over the field. He's done great hitting. 
you know, but still, I mean, Justin Turner probably has an edge. You know, first base, you've got, you know, G-Man Choi, um, you know, Yandy Diaz, or you're going to take Muncie. Uh, you know, I don't know. Second base, Kike Hernandez. I mean, Brandon Lau's been really struggling, Kike's man. a whole different player in the, in the playoffs. <laughs> but, but Brandon Lau's been really – I think he's like three for 40. You know, I mean, it hasn't been going well in the playoffs. So, I mean, obviously the edge goes to anybody the Dodgers put out right now. I'm not saying over a season, but right now it's just – whoever that ends up being. So, you know, but, but in center field, you know, Bellinger or Kiermaier, I probably got to do Bellinger, especially defensive run save this year. Belly really did well. Mookie in right field. Mookie's probably the best right fielder in the game. Yep. Um, you know, but Rosarena has been doing really well in left. So, I mean, they got one position. And catcher, you know, Zunino, I know he hit well, but I'm, I'm still taking either Will Smith or Barnsley. That's just the way it is. So you go position by position. If the Rays, if the Rays can't keep the Dodgers from scoring, they won't have a chance. Yeah, I agree. The, the only thing for me is just the Dodgers bullpen. That's really the only thing for me. And, and, and the Rays have just been doing the opener approach for like two to three years. So that's, that's, the only, that's the only advantage that I feel like they have. But I mean, one, other, one last stat that, that I'll say is that, that they have the lowest average in the, in the championship series, which I had no clue, with a uh, 201 average. The Maybe Dodgers? Got 11 home runs. The Dodgers? Yeah. Uh, the, Rays. The, Rays. the Rays hit 201? 201. Isn't that crazy? Well. Yeah, that's, okay. that is pretty surprising. Well, yeah, I get it. But they still, I mean, Rosarena is counting for 100, 100 of those points. You know, he's been yeah. unbelievable. So if he stays hot, and I think he will, you know, they're either going to have to give him the Barry Bonds treatment or hope nobody's on when he comes up because that guy's been absolutely incredible. He deserves, deserves all the credit in the world. So we'll see. I completely see. agree with you. I completely agree with you. Well, I really appreciate all your time today, Elliot, and, and being able to give me some insight on – your experience in the major leagues and especially with all the star studded players that you were able to play with. Uh, and I, I would definitely love to have you on sometime in the future. Uh, but of I really appreciate you coming on. All right. Thanks, Iggy. Hope your boys appreciate it. Appreciate it. Have a good See one. Ya. See ya. Yeah. All right. Perfect guys. I hope you d did really enjoy that interview with Elliot Johnson and were able to learn a lot about his MLB career right now. I am going to take a quick break and come back talking about what happened in week six of the NFL season. I'll be right back. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.